This is Blue Wire. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the very first episode of the Powder Blue Review Podcast. I am your host, Michael Peterson. And guys, I can't lie to you, I am stoked. This has been something I've been working on for the past couple of months. And I honestly can't thank Mr. Kevin Jones and Blue Wire Pods enough for giving me this platform. I'm super stoked about it. I hope this is something that um, really hits home with Chargers fans and uh, something you guys obviously want to listen to uh, again and again and again. And you know what? Together, I think we can get there. Um, For starters, guys, just a little bit about me as your host. Um, I used to play uh, some Division I ball at a school called Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, I'm currently the deputy manager for SB Nation's Bolts from the Blue. Um, I've done some work for Inside the Pylon. I've done a little bit for Chargers Wire and kind of been around the block for um, the last couple of years doing some draft stuff, doing some Chargers stuff, and uh, um, just super stoked to be here, like I said. So looking forward at what you guys can expect from this episode, um, we're going to be getting into the possible contract extension of Philip Rivers prior to the 2019 season. Um, we're going to be looking at the what-if scenario uh, if the Chargers decide to not um, extend Philip Rivers and kind of what that world would look like. And then looking at the offseason moves of signing Tyrod Taylor to be the backup to Rivers and drafting Easton Stick in the fifth round of this past NFL draft. Does that show us who... Anthony Lynn prefers at the quarterback position and does that shine a light obviously on the future of what the quarterback position will look like once Philip Rivers retires from the NFL and then we'll wrap up the show with some notes and tidbits from OTAs including how Joey Bose is looking how he's handling that foot soreness and a quote from Austin Eckler talking about how loaded that running back group is looking kind of everybody's niche in that position group and then the Chargers recent signing of tight end Andrew Vollard and what he could possibly bring to the offense. So let's get focused on on this contract extension. Philip Rivers is going into the final year of his four-year, $83.25 million contract that he signed back in 2015. Um, in 2019, he's got a base salary of $11 million, and obviously this guy turns 38 in December. Now, I wouldn't be surprised, or I don't think anyone should be surprised if they get a uh, contract extension done before the season. Um, even Rivers himself and the rest of the team, they've all... Um, chirped about the same mindset and that is no one's stressed they're just worried about the year rivers is off on vacation you know and this is kind of the same story every time they do give him a contract extension um you know he plans to play a few more years i just don't think anyone's worried about it um obviously he's also stated that time and time again that he's going to play at least another couple years at least to get one year playing in the new stadium in los angeles um, and why wouldn't you? Why would you come so close and then not obviously play one more year to play in what's going to be probably the most magnificent football stadium ever built? And, I mean, his teammates aren't thinking about it too much either. Keenan Allen was said that, like, how long does he think Phillip Rivers is going to play? And he basically just said, you know, Phillip Rivers can play as long as he wants to play because he's just that type of player. How long would that extension be? I'd probably give it another couple years. Um, 19, obviously. 20, maybe 21, that's going to be the year he turns 40, and uh, you know what, if he can still play, then he can still play, and and the Chargers are going to run Phillip Rivers into the ground if he decides to keep coming back. Um, The only thing I'm worried about with Phillip Rivers playing close to the age of 40 is that he's not Tom Brady, and he's not Drew Brees, he's just not the same type of quarterback. 
the lack of mobility obviously is going to be a limiting factor on how long he can continue to play at a high level. He hasn't taken the same lengths, gone to the same lengths as Tom Brady has to maintain his, you know, athleticism and his longevity at the position. Um, and obviously, I think that's starting to show. The biggest worry is him having a Peyton Manning-esque drop-off in arm talent, you know, either next year or the, the year after that, um, because it was very obvious with Peyton Manning. I mean, all of a sudden, he was just throwing ducks. And because he was Peyton Manning, he could figure out how to throw the ball with his new arm strength or his, you know, degrading arm strength um, and still get the job done. So can Rivers do that? I think so. I think he's smart enough to be that type of player. But that's when things really started circling the drain for Peyton Manning. So if that's something we see in 2019, then, you know, maybe 2020, 2021 starts to become more of a stretch. And we obviously can't forget that Philip Rivers is coming off a career year in 2018. Uh, just double-checking on his stats right now. He threw for over 4,300 yards, 32 touchdowns to just 12 interceptions. And that 12 interceptions is is kind of sketchy to me because he had six going into the final three games of the regular season, and he threw a pair of interceptions in each of those three games. So, you know, barring, you know, that meltdown, Rivers was on the way to by far probably the best inter- or touchdown-to-interception ratio of his career. And then just to put those numbers in a little bit more of a perspective, um, that was the sixth straight season that Rivers has thrown for over 4,000 yards. It's the third most touchdowns he's thrown in a year. His career high is 34. Um, he threw 33 back in 2016, but also had 21 interceptions. And then 32 this past year, good for third. Um, his passer rating of 105.5 was uh, tied for his best of his career. Uh, that ties the 105.5 back in 2008. And his touchdown-interception ratio was still a top-five number uh, for his career. So, I mean, things are still pointing up. He played some of the best ball in 2018 that he has in a long time. He was in the MVP consideration um, until those late-game meltdowns, obviously, against the Chiefs. Um, even though he still had a heck of a game against the Chiefs, the numbers on you know on paper just looked, didn't look the best. And then he had a real tough time against the Baltimore Ravens. And, I mean, the Ravens are who they are. That's a great defense. You really can't ask for much, but seeing how he played through most of the season, obviously you did feel that no matter what he faced or who he faced, he still should have been able to you know, somewhat match those numbers that he was putting up all through the year. But again, another solid season from Rivers, and uh, this is the type of stuff that he needs to continue to do. Um, this momentum needs to be carried on in 2019 to, to really show that there is no sign of slowing down um, and that he really could make it to the new, se- or new stadium excuse me, in Los Angeles without having to go through you know, a season, maybe two seasons of uh, a Rivers that has obviously regressed quite a bit. So moving forward into this hypothetical what-if situation that the Chargers decided to not extend Philip Rivers passed the 2019 season. For some reason, Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn both decided that it's in the team's best interest not to bring back the aging quarterback. I mean, what would the world look like? Now, I was asked this question. Uh, I went on the radio in San Diego with uh, Mark Willard and Rich Orenberger on Extra 1360, and they just said, is there a chance, is there a chance in hell that Philip Rivers is not extended? And I didn't want to just say, no, of course, there's there's no, just no chance in hell um, he's going to get extended and there's nothing that anybody needs to worry about. But I wanted to have some fun with this. I think there's a small, small, small chance, you know, a fraction of a fraction of a chance that he's not extended. And, and just look at the circumstances surrounding this. Coach Lynn signed Tyrod Taylor to be the backup for Phillip Rivers. Um, they said, you know, they wanted to get a backup with 
starting caliber talent. Okay, it's true. They got him. But then they also drafted Easton Stick in the fifth round. Now, Tyrod Taylor and Easton Stick are very similar players. Similar height, weight, speed, athletic ability, all that stuff. So you're telling me there's not the smallest chance that the craziest thing happens. Okay, the worst case scenario, Rivers all of a sudden decides to flip. He wants all the money in the world and the team can't sign him. So does Lynn all of a sudden say, okay, I've got the kind of quarterback that I want in Tyrod Taylor. I've got uh, a willing and able backup in Easton Stick. Maybe it's time to start running the offense that I've been wanting to run since I got here. And the only thing that's been stopping me is obviously having this elite quarterback in Rivers. I don't know, guys. I think it's a fun hypothetical. I love thinking about this stuff. Crazy stuff has happened in the NFL. We all know crazier stuff has happened in the NFL. And I think it's fun to, to kind of play around and to you know picture life after what's normal to us obviously goes away. What life is going to be like after Phillip Rivers, I honestly really can't imagine it. Um, I'm only kind of putting the breadcrumbs together when it comes to the people they put around Rivers and who they have backing them up. But at the end of the day, we all know he's going to get extended and we can all sleep well knowing that it's just inevitable. Real quick, guys, we're going to take a short break to listen to a word from one of our fellow NFL podcasters here at Blue Wire Pods. Want more great NFL content? This is Kyle Madsen, co-host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast. Check out my podcast and other NFL podcasts on the network by searching Blue Wire on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. So moving on forward, guys, we're going to change things up a little bit and start talking about kind of how OTAs are going, some things I've heard, some things I've read, just notes and tidbits about uh, what's been going on the last week. Um, first things first, a couple things have changed with Joey Bosa over the last couple weeks. I think the biggest thing, apart from on-field stuff, is that Joey has officially changed his number to 97. Now, if you're me, you're a little upset about this fact because on Black Friday this past Thanksgiving, I bought a brand new, all-white stitched, number 99 Joey Bosa jersey. I was so pumped to get it, you know, got the good deal on it. Um, It was like the last one, unless they were lying to me, the very last one they had um, on the shop website. Couldn't have been happier. I wore it for the last couple games of the season. Fits great. Everything's great. It's super fresh. So to find out that, you know, I'd only had the jersey for a couple months that Joey Bosa was officially going back to 97, which was his college number, I was slightly upset. I actually have two other Joey Bosa jerseys that are of lesser value, so it's kind of whatever with those. But, you know, with one of them being kind of a pride and joy thing, it's a little upsetting. But he wants to wear number 97. It's the number he wore in college. It's the number that his brother wore in college and is going to wear with the San Francisco 49ers. And it's the number his dad wore for about three seasons in the NFL back in the 80s. So can't really blame the guy. He was going to do it, or at least been trying to do it for the last couple years. But um, the NFL, unfortunately, had such a uh, large stock of number 99 Joy Bosa jerseys. He just he couldn't do it. They wouldn't let him do it. And because the Chargers are officially moving to their powder blue jerseys for their main um, jerseys for the upcoming season. He was able to do that. So good for Joey Bosa. Not so good for the guys who who bought a bunch of Joey Bosa jerseys or memorabilia and stuff like me. Unfortunately, that's just kind of my vice. I buy too many jerseys and whatever. That's just my cross to bear. But moving forward, one of the best things you could possibly hear from OTAs is that 
the players that have often been injured, especially those who, who missed a lot of time the previous season, um, it's good to hear that they're doing well. So when it comes to Joy Bosa, who missed uh, the first 10 games of the season in 2018, he is in, quote, tip-top shape. According to him, he is at the same weight, but he just has more muscle. And even better than that, he was saying, quote, I am the fastest and strongest I have ever been in my entire life, which is obviously should be music to your ears. Um, the guy missed, again, 10 games. He had five and a half sacks in the six games that he uh, returned to at the end of 2018. And he has 28 and a half sacks over the first three years of his career. And he has missed quite a bit of time. So to be able to say he still averages almost double-digit sacks over his first three years in the NFL is absolutely incredible. Another fun fact, his 21.2% pressure rate on the quarterback is still number one among all edge rushers since the 2016 season. I think that's absolutely fantastic, and I think fans, and it's tough because as a Chargers fan, you're you, you tend to get jaded a little bit. You tend to get jaded because bad things keep happening, and you know if it's not one player, it's the other player. When one guy heals up, another guy seems to get hurt. It's just been quite the roller coaster in terms of injuries and stuff like that. So we just got to be positive. I'm going to try to be as positive as possible, and hopefully you guys can do the exact same. Hopefully he comes back. We get a full year of a healthy Joey Bosa, a full year of a healthy Melvin Ingram, and hopefully a full healthy year of Hunter Henry. But, um, you know, he didn't get to play at all. He did come back for the end of the season um, last year, but obviously not in the same facet. Austin Eckler was at the mic at the podium following one of the OTA practices last week, and I thought he had an interesting quote. He started talking about um, kind of each of the running backs in the group, most specifically the top three. Um, and obviously Melvin Gordon isn't at OTAs. Um, he's off doing his own uh, private like off-season workouts. I think in Florida, he's with a couple other players. Um, not at OTAs, but, you know, Eckler was answering a few questions, and um, he went from Gordon to himself to Jackson and described each of them and, and what the type of player that they are. Um, he said for Gordon, he is kind of your natural, normal, usual uh, bell cow. He's also your do-it-all guy. It doesn't matter if it's running, receiving, and especially the last two years, especially last season, um, we saw that from Gordon, and that's absolutely huge. Eckler described himself as a one-cut slasher. Now, I think that's selling Austin Eckler quite short. Um, he's been one of the most productive running backs on the team. Uh, in fact, a lot of people were calling him much more efficient of a player than Melvin Gordon, especially last season and sort of two seasons ago as well. Um, he, he's really balanced. We all know he is. Um, he can catch it as well as he can run it. For being quite smaller than Melvin Gordon, he is, I think Anthony Lynn said, he is pound for pound the strongest running back on this team. And I believe it. The guy doesn't go down, um, and he's got legitimate 4-4 speed. And you know he can go up and catch the pass, um, especially if you look back at the opening game against the Kansas City Chiefs um, at L.A. He had that uh, leaping catch over linebacker Anthony Hitchens in the back corner of the end zone. Um, that was quite something to see from a running back. So I don't think he's quite just a one-cut slasher. I think or Austin Eckler could be a do-it-all back if given the chance. But, um, you know, that's just his opinion. And then he moved on to Justin Jackson. And I don't know how you guys feel about Justin Jackson. He was, you know, just a handful of picks away from being Mr. Relevant in 2018. And due to some injuries to Eckler and Gordon uh, later in the season, he got a chance against the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And obviously, both were comeback from behind victories. 
they were amazing games, and Justin Jackson played a huge role in that. Um, and Eckler said he was more of a quick twitch type of running back. And I got to say, I actually agree with him. He's, I, I didn't think he was that type of player while he was at Northwestern. Um, I got a chance to see him throughout his playing career being a, an alumnus of the University of Iowa. So I was always at all the Big Ten games. And he was. He was a great running back. Um, the quick twitch, you know, uh, change of direction wasn't exactly what I thought. Um, you know, was his calling card, was his game, but especially against the Pittsburgh Steelers, you watch that, you know, 16, 18-yard touchdown that he had to, to really kind of swing the momentum in the Chargers' favor. He really was juking and moving and juking people out of their socks and uh, found his way into the end zone. So I, I guess I got to agree with Austin Eckler. I, um, I definitely support that, uh, you know, the hypothesis at this point in the offseason. So it's good to hear. And, you know, he, he didn't even talk about guys like Dietrez Newsom, who was an undrafted free agent pickup that they had last year, who also, you know, made his presence felt, especially in the preseason. I mean, it was tough to to see him not on the active roster for most of the year because of Justin Jackson's, you know, injury. Um, you thought maybe he was going to find that spot, but he ended up on the practice squad. Thankfully, no one um, claimed him off there. And when Gordon and Eckler went down to injury, uh, Dietrez Newsom popped up on the active roster and made an impact against the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, he really did have a good role. He caught it and he ran it well. And I really like him as a running back. And what's funny is you look at Jeremy Cox, who's the undrafted free agent running back from um, Old Dominion that the team just picked up after this recent draft. And he looks very similar to Detrez Newsom. He's a little bit bigger. I think Detrez was about 5'11, 5'10, 215-ish, while Jeremy Cox is about six foot, maybe a little bit taller, and about 225 to 230 pounds. But they run so low to the ground. And they pick up tough, tough yardage, and they can really do it all as well. Dietrez Newsom was the all-time leading yards from scrimmage uh, record holder at Western Carolina. And Jeremy Cox kind of did some similar stuff, just didn't have um, as much of the longevity due to a bunch of injuries that kind of cut several of his seasons short. But I think they're both similar players. And I think, you know, it, and it sucks that Cox came into a situation where the running back room is so packed right now, or else I'd feel like he had would have a pretty good chance of making the final 53, but I mean, it's tough to beat out Newsom because I think Newsom has the experience and can still do it all. And he's shown that already and Jackson at the third string and the top two running backs are set. So I think Cox will probably stay around on the practice squad. I hope he just sticks around. Let's put it that way. I would love to have five running backs who are all, you know, worth something um, just in case more injuries pile up, but that's not always the case. We're going to go ahead and wrap things up talking about the Chargers' most recent signing of tight end Andrew Vollert. And, and Andrew, if you're listening, I apologize. I'm pretty sure you pronounced that Vollert, but, um, you know, we're not going to nitpick on that right now. Um, Andrew is 6'5", 245 pounds, and comes to the Chargers uh, from the Cardinals. And before that, he was with the Bengals. And before that, he was a two-time All-American at Weber State, which is an FCS power in the Big Sky Conference uh, in the state of Utah. Now, in the beginning of Vollert's career at, or just collegiate career in general, um, he actually spent the first two years at San Jose State. Um, He played in just a few games after redshirting his first year, and during the 2014-15 basketball season, was a part of the school's basketball team as well, appearing in just three games. So a little bit of dual sport is there for Andrew. So he spent one year at San Francisco Community College following the 14th season before transferring to Weber State in January of 2016. Now, in 2016, uh, Volert was the Big Sky Newcomer of the Year, 
and actually led the team in receptions, receiving yards, and total touchdowns. His final line of that year was 62 catches for 840 yards and seven touchdowns. I mean, a heck of a year for a guy who, you know, obviously had some talent, went to a Division One school in San Jose State, moved down, and, you know, was able to still dominate. So um, the guy's got a little bit of a pedigree. In 2017, um, he followed up with a similar campaign, a little less productive. He had a total of 61 catches for 773 yards and five touchdowns. He was a second-team All-American in 2016, um, but was actually a consensus All-American in 2017. Um, obviously, first-team All-Big Sky each of those years as well. And in 17, he also, again, led the team in receptions and receiving yards. Uh, after his collegiate career was done, he was invited to play in the 2018 East-West Shrine Game um, in St. Petersburg, Florida. And, and that game's kind of a fun indicator of interest for the team. Um, earlier this year, I wrote about how players from the Senior Bowl, the All-Star Showcase in Mobile, Alabama, were specifically targeted by Coach Lynn and Tom Telesco. They signed um, eight within the last two years prior to this year's draft. And this year they drafted three guys who were invited to the Senior Bowl. And then with, I believe, Cortez Broughton and Easton Stick, or no, Trey Pipkin, excuse me, and Easton Stick, they had uh, two players from the Shrine game. So I've just noticed that the coaching staff and, and the front office staff really like guys who obviously played in all-star games. So it's not surprising to see them again find a guy who played in one of those back in uh, 2018. So Voller, again, at 6'5", 245, is very similar to the kind of you know smaller tight ends, big wide receiver type players. He's obviously going to need some work. He hasn't made it past uh, any team's practice squad within his first year of being in the league. I mean, he, I think this opportunity actually sets up well for him. Um, pulling up the roster now, the team officially has. So obviously Antonio Gates isn't with the team. So you're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tight ends. And he's got some good guys in front of him. Um, Virgil Green, Hunter Henry, Sean Culkin are going to be the top three that you're looking at here. Uh, you got two former UDFAs from this year in Daniel Helm from Duke and Matt Sokol from Michigan State. Both don't have too much of a receiving pedigree. Um, I think both only had, I don't think ever broke, 300 yards receiving uh, in a season in college. And I think each only had about two touchdown receptions for their entire career. Um, and then you look at Vince Mayle, who's, uh, I think he's in his fourth year out of Washington State. Um, he's only 6'2", 247, so he really does fit that move tight end role. Um, lacks a little bit of that size, but I believe um, does have some good speed to him. And could be a useful tool if he does uh, prove himself in OTAs, minicamp, and all that stuff. But I like Volert's chances. You know, he's he's one of the, on the taller end, uh, matching six five with you know Colkin Green and Henry. Two forty five. He's actually looking at the numbers, the lightest of the tight ends um, by a couple pounds. So probably not going to be your traditional tight end. I mean, they've got guys like Green, who's you know blocking preference. Uh, Sean Colkin, more of a blocker as well. Hunter Henry can do both. So um, if anything, I think Voller can make the team as the final tight end with a little bit of, you know, a receiving pedigree showing that he can he can catch the ball well and, and to make plays on offense. And, you know, if Gates come back, comes back, excuse me, into the picture, I just don't think he's a chance in hell. Maybe a practice squad type guy. Um, I like him. Athletic, um, not super athletic, but gets the job done. More of a football player, I'd say, than an athlete. So I'm not going to beg the Chargers for having more tight ends, especially at such an important position in a Chargers offense. So honestly, when it comes to this position, uh, the more the merrier. So that about wraps things up with me, guys. 
I can't thank you enough. This has been absolutely spectacular. Um, once again, thank you to Mr. Kevin Jones and Blue Wire Pods for, for letting me do this, for letting me have my very own Los Angeles Chargers podcast. Guys, I hope you're as excited as me moving forward. This is going to be a weekly podcast. I will be back early next week. We are aiming for Mondays uh, to be when my episodes come out. And honestly, I pick Monday mornings because, you know, we get to talk about hopefully some wins when it comes to football season. And, and hopefully this is something that you guys can listen to on your way to work on Mondays and kind of makes, you know, those Monday blues go away any way they can. So once again, appreciate you guys listening in and hope to see you all next week when we record the second episode of the Powder Blue review.